Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 43, Willing to be Wrong. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. friends. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am so glad you're here. I am coming off some of the best and the busiest months of my life. We have had so much going on in our family, including a college graduation, a wedding. My oldest daughter got married and it was beautiful and amazing. Uh, We've had lots of company in town, a couple little trips thrown in there, along with just the usual summer activities. And it has been fun and crazy and exhausting all at the same time. And now we're gearing up for a new school year, which we all kind of have mixed feelings about, but ready or not, here it comes, right? Before um, we get into our topic today, I wanted to let you know about something fun that I have in the works um, coming up in September. Um, I am so excited to be offering a small group of women the opportunity to come and work with me on their goals. And if you've never experienced coaching before, group coaching is a really great way to dip your feet in. I've been a part of many different group coaching programs. Some have been you know, really big and some were more small and intimate. And I have to say that um, my experience in a small group, um, aside from one-on-one coaching, has been my absolute favorite. I love getting to know the other members of the group. I love hearing other people get coaching on their own challenges and I love the connection and support that I feel. So if you feel like you wanna have a goal but don't really know where to start, or maybe you have a goal that you've been trying to get traction on, but feel like you just you know can't get motivated. Um, if you think working on your goal and having some connection and accountability with other women working on their goals sounds amazing, or if you just simply want to get some momentum on a goal you're currently working on, uh, this group is for you. We will work on creating your own personal plan for success and then move you into taking action, right? To make that plan a reality. So... If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find out more by visiting my Instagram at Annette Jones Coaching and just send me a DM and I'll get you all the information that you need. We start in September. We're going to go for 90 days, about 12 weeks or so. And so we'll be ending right around Thanksgiving, just in time for the holidays. And that doesn't mean your goal has to end then. The purpose of this group is to kind of get you going, get you out of a slump if you're feeling stuck. We're going to meet once a week and I'll have some great resources and other kinds of support for you. And your goal can be anything. It can be health and fitness related. Maybe you want to work on improving a relationship, building your confidence, uh, getting your home organized or working on some other house related project, um, creating better spiritual habits. This goal can be anything you want it to be. And I think this is the perfect time with kids going back to school for you to do something for you, something fun, something that will stretch you, something that will connect you to others and get you going on creating something really amazing in your life. So again, come find me on Instagram if you think this is something that you would like to be a part of. I would love to have you. So I've had this podcast outline kind of sitting for a while, just waiting to be recorded, and I have a little extra time this afternoon, so I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to jump back into the podcasting world uh, now that things will hopefully be settling down a bit with um, summer ending and school starting. So welcome to this episode, and let's dive in. All right, I want to start out with a question for you. Which do you prefer, being right or being wrong? 
I'm guessing most people, if they were answering truthfully, would say that they like to be right. But today, we are talking about how being willing to be wrong can actually be a really great tool um, to help you have better relationships, to get yourself out of victim mode, to move forward on your goals, um, even to decrease the amount of stress or anxiety you may be feeling in your life. And some of us might bristle a little bit at the thought of being wrong. And there's a good reason, because as humans with human brains, we have the tendency to want to be right. Have you ever heard the saying, your brain would rather be right than be happy? Our brains even have um, a built-in feature that reinforces its rightness called confirmation bias, which takes all of the outside information and input coming into our minds and it filters it, right? It will give credibility to and keep the information that supports or proves our existing thoughts and beliefs to, to be true, thus reinforcing and strengthening those, those already held beliefs, right? And it will discount or disregard the information that does not align with our thoughts and beliefs, categorizing it as false or irrelevant. This is so interesting, isn't it? Because when we become aware that our brain naturally does this, we can almost watch it do this work of either automatically accepting or rejecting information based on our current beliefs. And we see this a lot in this polarized world of ours, right? Where people are so sure that their perspective or their experience or their belief system is the right one and that anyone who sees the situation differently or has a conflicting opinion is wrong. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have beliefs or opinions um, or that we should all believe the same thing, but there's definitely a tension building where it feels almost like people are having a harder time tolerating other people's beliefs or opinions. And the more tension there is, the more polarizing these issues become, right? The less patient and compassionate we become with each other, which leads to lots of feelings of contempt and resentment. And we see society suffering. We see families suffering. So again, this is not to say that we shouldn't have beliefs and that truth doesn't exist, but I think sometimes it's helpful to kind of take inventory of where we are intentionally choosing our beliefs, whether our beliefs are serving us, and where we might want to make some adjustments. And many times making adjustments requires us to be willing to be wrong about what we currently believe. Um, one article I read about the benefits of being willing to be wrong in this way, it says, um, one problem with focusing on getting it right is that it leaves zero margin for error for even a single misstep, which means you can forget about innovation, creativity, and continuous improvement. Needing to be right is what keeps people rigid, steadfastly and unthinkingly adhering to their own views and beliefs, making it impossible to learn, stretch, or grow. Being unwilling to be wrong makes you say no, makes you avoid new things, and keeps you from experimenting, let alone keeps you from listening to others' views, engaging in debate, or changing your mind. Now, all of our beliefs are basically perceptions and interpretations and conclusions we've come to about ourselves and others and the world with the information that we've drawn from our own unique life's experiences. And something interesting to note is that many of these beliefs start to form long before we can even remember. Many of them are formed in a stage of development where we are like little sponges, right? Taking in everything going on around us. And then we use that information to create these rules, rules in quotation marks, <laughs> about life. Rules for ourselves and for other people. Rules about how we should behave and how we should think and how we should respond to things. Rules about what's right and what's wrong, and rules about, you know, how the world works. And many of us came up with these, with the same rules, right? Like that certain people are more worthy or important than others, or that 
we get to feel good and approve of ourselves when other people love and approve of us. So these observations and beliefs um, that we gathered in the earlier years of life were what went into the programming of our subconscious mind. So depending on what family you grew up in, what religion you were raised in, where you lived, what kind of education you had, your life's experiences, you picked up different messages about yourself, about other people, um, about how the world works, about what's good and right and important and fair, what's scary and threatening and wrong and bad, and all of these perceptions and messages were then stored in you know, that lower subconscious brain as truth without really ever being questioned or evaluated. These beliefs were formed at a time when life was just kind of happening to us and we didn't really have the consciousness or even the ability to be intentional about the beliefs and habits that we were creating. And so this is actually an amazing feature of our brains, this ability to observe and learn and draw conclusions and then to create habits and beliefs from that information. But it's also important to realize that the majority of these beliefs were created unintentionally. And some of our strongest beliefs were formed um, during times where we were experiencing really intense emotions, whether we were feeling really good, positive, elevated emotions, or whether we were feeling those more negative survival emotions. And I think that either way, whether we were feeling really positive emotions or really negative emotions, these beliefs when created unintentionally are worth taking a look at and evaluating whether or not they're still serving us. Because they did serve us when they were created, right? We had good reason for adopting them. But oftentimes we find as we get older that many of these beliefs limit us. They no longer serve us in the stage of life that we're in now. So for example, maybe you grew up with parents who gave you lots of attention and praise for your achievements. And this felt so good. And so your mind created the belief that accomplishing things, being a high achiever, would bring you love and admiration and make people like you. And so your brain was like, great, I know how to feel loved and important. I just need to keep achieving and I'll always have all of the attention and validation that I need. But later on in life, you might find that you aren't always given attention or praise for your accomplishments. And some people even dislike you when you achieve something great. And this can kind of throw you into some dissonance, right? Some confusion or even anxiety because what's happening on the outside isn't matching your belief of what's supposed to happen on the inside. It's not working. And then we make it mean all kinds of negative things about our worth, our lovability, our value as a person. We make it about us, right? Or maybe you had the opposite experience. Maybe you were scolded or shamed for a certain behavior and told that people would think badly or less of you if they saw you doing that or if they knew who you really were. And so you form this belief that other people's opinions of you are extremely important and that if you aren't looking or thinking or acting or feeling perfectly all the time, you need to at least try to create an illusion that you are, right? Even if you have to hide certain parts of you or act a certain way to look good or be accepted. And then as you get older, you realize that you are living a very inauthentic life, that you are trying to morph yourself to accommodate the people or circumstances around you and you feel the need to conceal or fake certain parts of you um, in order to please or impress. And one day you realize that none of this morphing or hiding is bringing you real joy or the feeling of belonging that you thought it would. So maybe some of these ideas you've held so tightly to and believe so strongly for the majority of your life are wrong. And speaking to these examples I just gave, I think as we get older, we kind of logically learn that these things aren't true, 
that other people's opinions aren't important or that achievements don't really make people more lovable or valuable. Logically, we can say we know this, but these beliefs don't live in the logical part of our brains, right? They live in the subconscious and they are very intimately connected with our emotions, which makes them very stealthy, very sneaky. And maybe even though we can say we, quote, know they aren't true, they still feel true. That's why we feel these beliefs in our bodies. Um, They are programmed in there through those high-level emotions we've been associating them with. And so they can seem very real and very true, even if they aren't true at all. And so we grow up with these beliefs and perceptions about ourselves, some of which are helpful, and some of which, as we get older, start to cause us some problems. They start to sabotage us and keep us from believing in ourselves, from accomplishing our goals. They can keep us from having the kind of relationships that we want to have. They even can affect our health and our spirituality. They affect how we feel on a daily basis and how we experience our lives. Now, I've noticed in myself, in my friends, in many of my clients, that this phenomenon starts to creep up around the mid-30s to mid-40s, kind of as we're approaching midlife and shifting into new phases of mothering and marriage and a whole new phase of life, really. And we start to realize that a lot of our old habits and patterns and ways of thinking and solving problems aren't really working very well and actually maybe even causing us problems. And so many times when we have problems or challenges creep up on us, especially the ones that keep seem to keep showing up again and again, our first reaction is to think, okay, what do I need to do differently? What action can I take? And we want a, a list of things, right, that we can do to make the situation better. But changing our actions without changing the thoughts and feelings behind those actions can actually be kind of counterproductive. It doesn't work so well, and it can end up making us even more stuck or frustrated because we're trying to change our behavior, um, and we might be taking action, but we're still not seeing the results that we want. Or maybe we get different results for a little while, but they just don't seem to stick in the long run. So for many of us, the secret to success in changing our habits or accomplishing a new goal or showing up differently in a relationship is actually not going to be jumping straight to our actions. And instead of asking, what do I need to do differently? It might be much more helpful to ask, what do I need to believe differently? And in order to believe something different, we have to be willing to be wrong about our current belief. We have to be willing to consider that it's not the people or circumstances in our lives that are making us frustrated or holding us back. It's actually our subconscious programming that's keeping us stuck, which is tricky because when we believe something, Since before we can even remember, or when a belief has been with us for years and years, it's going to feel very true. Like there's no way anything else could be true, right? But if the belief isn't serving you, no matter how true it seems, it's worth doing the work to change it. Which includes being willing to tell your brain that actually it might be wrong about this thing. So when we're talking about beliefs that are holding us back or dragging us down, we often refer to them as limiting beliefs. If you've ever said or heard someone else say things like, I'm just not good at blank, or I'm just not the kind of person who could do blank, (laughs) or I can't feel the way I want to, whether that's happy or peaceful or loving or whatever, because of blank, those are examples of limiting beliefs, something that you believe to be true, but is limiting you in some way. And these limiting beliefs can have unintended consequences that we aren't even aware of because we generally don't consciously connect the results that we're getting in our lives directly to the beliefs that we have. So limiting beliefs affect the choices you make, the opportunities you do or do not take. They affect your interactions with others. They affect what you believe is possible for yourself. 
And in the long run, they will determine whether or not you live into your full potential. Limiting beliefs keep you stuck and they make you believe that you have no choice, that this is just the way you are or just the way the world is and you have no control. So why even bother? So I wanted to give you some examples of this in my own life. And then I'm going to give you a list of questions that you can take your limiting beliefs through to help you evaluate them, to question them. And if you decide to, initiate the process of believing something new. And I just want you to know, I have had to make many conscious decisions to be wrong about my old subconscious beliefs, which, as I said, was, is not always easy. But if you can't get to a place where you're genuinely willing to be wrong about your old belief, it makes it harder to start believing something new. It kind of makes me think of faith. In a nutshell, faith is essentially just a conscious decision to believe in something, right? I heard a definition once of faith that I love, that faith is believing in something unconditionally. Think about that. Faith is believing in something, in yourself, in your potential, in your worth, in other people, in God and his goodness to you. It's believing in these things without conditions. And even when you don't have concrete evidence that they're true, Faith is a choice to believe in something that you can't see or in something that you don't have yet. But faith is also a principle of power that can help you take these hopes and beliefs that you have and use them to bring about miracles in your life. Another definition of faith that I love is faith is a principle of action and power. Whenever you work toward a worthy goal, you exercise faith. You hope for something you cannot see. And I personally would consider changing out our limiting thoughts and beliefs to more productive, positive, expansive ones to be a very worthy goal. So let me share with you um, a few examples. And I actually think this first one will resonate with a lot of you because after I became aware of this belief in my own life, I started realizing that this mindset is literally everywhere. So I grew up taking in all kinds of messages about money. Mostly that money was hard that it was scarce, that it was stressful, that God didn't really approve of the pursuit of it, and that it was selfish to want more of it. And these ideas came from lots of different sources, and they felt absolutely 100% without a doubt true. And once these ideas became a part of my programming, I found lots and lots of evidence for them in things that my parents said, in my family situation, in things I heard at church, things I maybe saw in movies or read in books, um, and things I observed in other people's lives. And so as I went through my childhood and teenage and young adult years collecting evidence to reconfirm these beliefs, it really shaped this view for me that money was something that was hard to come by, that it was kind of selfish to want more of it, and that some people could have it, have a lot of it, but most of us weren't that fortunate, and that I definitely fell into the category of the latter, and that money really wasn't something I should want. And even if I did, it actually really wasn't a possibility for me. So I just shouldn't even get my hopes up about it. And looking back, I realize how much scarcity and fear and even shame I was operating in around money, which money is actually a neutral thing, right? Money is just a tool that we get to decide how to use. It's like a hammer. We can use a hammer for good, to build, to strengthen, to create good things, or we can use it in harmful ways, right? To tear down or destroy something. So I love the thought that money just makes you more of who you are. It's not going to spontaneously turn you into a bad person and it won't magically turn you into a good person. You get to decide what kind of person you want to be with it and how you will use it. 
And actually, I found that the more I believed those thoughts about money being hard and wrong and selfish and unattainable, the more stressed and fearful and avoidant and even stingy I became around money and the less generosity and abundance and peace I felt about it. And that mindset around money did not create good things in my life. But the crazy thing was that I just thought that was the truth about it. I thought that my observations and the conclusions that myself and others had drawn were without a doubt, a doubt just the way that things were. But gradually, as I started hearing different perspectives and observing the way other people related to and thought about their money, I came to the realization that all of the scarce and fearful and negative beliefs I had around money might actually be wrong. Um, And that wasn't the only way to think about money. That mindset wasn't absolute truth and the only beliefs available to me. So how did I know that? Because not everyone thought the same way about money that I did. Even good, honest, respectable people held different views than I did about money. I remember when I started dating my husband and it became very evident in just the first week of knowing him and being around his family that they did not think about money in the same way that I did. That's one of the interesting things about marriage, right, is we get an up-close and personal experience with someone who might have a totally different mindset in some areas than we do, depending on where they grew up or how they were raised. In fact, I recently had a conversation with my own sister who grew up in the same home with the same parents going to the same church that I grew up in and who has a very different mindset than I do around money. That was fascinating to me that we could have adopted such different beliefs coming from essentially the same environment. So it just goes to show that it's not simply your circumstances or what was modeled for you or what you were taught that shapes your beliefs and your mindset. There's a whole nother level to it. It's actually the way that you personally have interpreted those things. So that awareness that there was a different way to see money, to feel about money, helped me to realize that maybe I didn't want to keep thinking about money in such a scarce and stressful way. Maybe I wanted to believe something different. Maybe all of the conclusions I'd drawn about money and the people that have it or don't have it were wrong, and I could choose something different. Now, this was not an easy process. It took some time to see shifts because these beliefs I held were so deeply ingrained in me, but I just started collecting evidence for what I wanted to believe about money, and gradually, over time, I began to have a much more positive, productive mindset around money. And I can't tell you how helpful this shift has been for me. I have seen this benefit, not just me, but my family, uh, my business, my clients. It's really opened my mind to greater possibilities and potential for all of us. It's probably worth devoting an entire podcast to. Maybe I'll do that one day. But I'm so grateful that I was able to see where I was wrong and come to a new set of beliefs about money that helps me feel so much more confident and generous and abundant. Okay, the next example I wanted to give you is one I coach a lot of clients on. It's definitely in, I'd say, the top three things that my clients struggle with, and that's thinking that it's our job to manage other people's emotions and keep everyone happy all the time. And as a woman and as mothers, I think we're especially vulnerable to taking responsibility for other people's experiences. We are told that as wives and mothers, we have great influence, which of course is true, but some of us interpret that to mean that we should be able to use our influence to make everyone feel good and make good choices all of the time, which if you've fallen into that trap, you realize is actually a losing battle. I love this quote from Genere Jones. She said, you cannot please everyone and the effort required to try shaves years off your life and steals your joy. 
We put so much pressure on ourselves to be the fixers, right? And serving and helping the people in our lives, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. And it's something that I personally want to do and to be available for. But there are times in life, whether it's with my kids or my husband or maybe um, in you know my extended family or a situation at church where I see someone suffering and I can't fix it. As parents, we all want our kids to be productive and successful and confident and happy. But as you well know, these are not states that any of us humans live in full time. But for a long time, I believed that it was my job to make sure that my humans were feeling these emotions and having these experiences all of the time, at least a really high percentage of the time. And so when they weren't, I made it mean something about me. I made it mean that I was failing, that I wasn't good enough, that Heavenly Father was disappointed in me for not being able to keep everyone happy. And as you can imagine, this did not put me in a very good place. It wasn't helping me to have the positive influence I wanted to have on my family. It made me frustrated and anxious and made me doubt that I was doing any good for anyone. If there's anything my experiences over the past few years of being a mom of teenagers and young adults has taught me, it's the importance of not rushing in to fix everything, of letting my kids have their own experience and work through things at their own pace. And of course, I'm there to love and support and encourage and advise, but my belief has gone from thinking that I'm responsible for fixing everything, and that if I can't, I'm a failure, to truly believing that the challenges that my kids are facing are for them, and that they're not alone in it. That God is right there guiding them and helping them, and many times even orchestrating people and events for their greatest good. And as I've worked on this belief and looked for evidence of this belief, It has changed so many things for me. I feel so much more peace, so much more patience. I feel like I can help my kids from a much cleaner place of clarity and wisdom. And this was illustrated in just a little experience that I had um, just over a year ago when my 16-year-old kind of surprised me one afternoon by asking for help with his math homework. He was at a level way beyond any math class I ever took in high school or even college, And if I'm being really honest, helping my middle schooler with his math is a stretch for me these days. But I loved that he asked me. And I told him I'd do whatever I could to help. So we sat and talked through that math problem for about 20 minutes. And I really had no idea what any of those little symbols or formulas on his paper meant. No clue. But I would ask him questions and he would kind of explain the concepts that applied. And then all of a sudden, as he was talking it out, something clicked. And he knew exactly what he needed to do to solve the problem. And then what he said next totally melted my heart. He said, hey mom, thanks for helping me talk through this. And it was then that I realized that he didn't need me to be a math genius. Thank goodness. (laughs) He didn't need me to solve that problem for him. He just wanted someone to talk it through with. And in that moment, I was reminded that we as parents don't always have all of the answers for our kids. And that's okay. We don't have to. Many times, all our kids need from us, especially as they get older, is simply some love, some encouragement, and a listening ear. They're not looking for us to solve all of their problems, but when they know that we're available to love and support them as they navigate their life's challenges, it can make all the difference. So many of the answers to our kids' problems are already inside of them. They just need the chance to bring them to the surface. And these are the kind of beliefs that will help us become the strong, resilient, wise, patient, loving parents that we really want to be for our kids. 
Okay, one last example and then we're done. And this is a belief that you may or may not agree with, but nevertheless, it was a belief that was causing me to feel stuck and very confused in my life. And I don't know if I can capture all that this belief encompassed for me in one or two sentences, but I'll try. And I think the gist of this belief was that life is supposed to be hard and we are supposed to experience some joy, some good things, but not too much. Kind of like God was keeping a limit on how good our lives could be. And if things were going too well, then I needed to brace myself because according to the rules I created in my mind, if things got going too good, then that meant bad things were coming. And this kind of sounds so funny to say out loud. This belief may seem kind of silly to some of you, but maybe some of you resonate with this a little and might even be saying to yourselves, well, yeah, actually that's true. Life is supposed to be hard. That's why we're here. And I agree that we were indeed sent to this earth to experience opposition, but the way that I was interpreting that and the results it was creating in my life were not ones that I wanted. And I think the part of this belief that held me back the most was that I thought God wanted it to be this way. I kind of saw him from my human perspective of things um, as, you know, just wanting to be really fair and wanting to keep the playing field relatively even for everyone which in my mind meant that if someone had um, a great marriage, then they were bound to have you know, a really big financial struggle or that something terrible would happen to one of their kids. Or if someone had great career success, then they were bound to have a horrible health diagnosis just to keep things balanced. And looking back, this was such a funny little belief that I created and I was constantly on the lookout, unknowingly of course, for evidence to prove this theory true. So when something really great would happen to someone I knew, I'd look at this person's life and think, well, yeah, they have to deal with this really hard thing, so of course they deserve this great blessing. Or the opposite, that if something bad happened to someone I knew, I'd think, well, yeah, they have this really great thing in their life, so it makes sense that this hard thing would happen to, you know, to balance it out. Um, almost like God was keeping score and controlling all of it. And even though this might seem like silly and not that big of a deal, it was actually wreaking havoc and causing me a lot of anxiety. In hindsight, I could see that it was keeping me from really living my life. Because like I said, if things were going well, I'd start to get uncomfortable and think, okay, a bad thing's going to happen. And then I'd be paranoid. And I even would sabotage some things in my life so that they wouldn't go as well. Um, in his book, The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks talks about this concept that we think there is a limit to how good our lives can get. And when we start to approach the upper limit of you know, success or happiness, we start to create problems where there don't need to be problems or where there weren't any before. Because oddly enough, that's a more comfortable place for us to be. So this sabotage um, might look like starting an argument with your spouse or pulling back on a goal you're trying to achieve or getting frustrated with your kids or neglecting your physical health. We do things that undermine our well-being because having things go too well feels scary. And I could kind of see myself doing this. And for me, it was, you know, the subconscious effort to control the hard in my life, I think. For a while, I didn't even know I was doing this. And I, I held back from making my marriage too good because I was afraid that if that challenge, you know, was resolved, a harder, much worse problem would come along to take its place. Or I worried, you know, when I started coaching that if my business was too successful, then some kind of big crisis would come along to even things out. So this belief was keeping me from creating the kind of marriage I really wanted. It was keeping me from believing in myself and achieving the goals I had as a business owner. And it was keeping me from just really being present and enjoying my life because I was so afraid if I felt too good, 
that something would be taken away. And the most interesting thing about this belief to me is that I just thought this is how God worked, that he designed the world to work this way and that he didn't want me to have too much, that he didn't want my life to be too good or for me to feel too happy or be too successful. This was such a limited view of God and his character. And it was, as I have come to find out, completely false. God does not place limits on us. The limits I thought God was placing on me, I was actually placing on myself. And I realized that what I was most afraid of weren't even necessarily circumstances, but how I thought I'd feel in those negative circumstances that I just assumed would happen. And so then I started thinking, you know what? Even if God is orchestrating circumstances, we still have a choice as to how we will feel about them. We talk about life being 50-50, right? But I know people who live in amazing circumstances and they aren't necessarily happy. And I know people who have life circumstances that are absolutely heart-wrenching, who experience more peace and hopefulness and joy than you could imagine. I was looking at life strictly through the lens of keeping a scorecard of circumstances. But all you have to do is look at the news, look at the world, and you can see that no one has equal circumstances. And the part I had to reconcile in my mind was that in any circumstance, we get to decide how we will experience it. We get to decide how we will think and feel. So technically, God can't keep a scorecard, (laughs) right, of good and bad experiences to make sure we're all experiencing equal positivity and negativity because we have our agency. We get to choose how we will feel and what we will do with the circumstances allotted to us. And this realization created so much relief for me. I was finally able to stop trying to control my hard because I was the one who got to decide what was hard and what wasn't. I even started practicing the thought, my life is easy, which was scary at first because of how threatening it felt to me to have an, quote, easy life. But that was just the beginning of my journey to change that belief that life was supposed to be hard and disappointing, that things weren't supposed to go my way, and that God just wanted me to play it small and just be happy with what I had and not want anything else. And I want to share with you a quote from M. Catherine Thomas, she's one of my favorite authors, um, that kind of sums up the way I see my life and God wants for me now. This kind of sums up my, my new belief. She said, The heavens want to assist us in creating that which brings us more joy. They want us to be in a state of joy so we can move through our lives giving joy to more people. Do not sit and wait for God to make your life better. The energy of the planet is the energy of partnering with the heavens. Set an intention to partner with God in creating a wonderful life, and you will experience the miracle of how quickly it can happen. And that's how I see my relationship with God now, a partnership in creating a wonderful life. I truly believe he wants this for me. And he wants this for you too. He is so interested in our lives, so invested in our success. All he wants to do is help us. But we have to use our agency to ask for his influence and his guidance and then have the courage and the commitment to act. So all of these beliefs, my beliefs about money, my beliefs about keeping everyone happy, and my belief about what God wanted for me, they were all false. But to me, they literally felt like truth. And in the beginning of questioning them, I honestly couldn't see another way. It has taken work and practice and intention to change them. 
But do you know the turning point in adopting new thoughts and beliefs for me? The thing that made this process so much more effective and doable? It was the moment I decided that the beliefs and the rules I had created about my life and how the world works, they, they were wrong. I had been wrong. And being willing to be wrong about these and many other limiting beliefs I've had has changed me. It's changed the trajectory of my life. And I am so grateful that I was willing to be wrong. I have to say that, um, especially at first, when you start this process of change, it can be easy to slip back into those limiting beliefs. I think sometimes we think we'll get to the point where they just don't come up for us anymore, but they do. We still have our carnal brain doing its job. We still have the adversary capitalizing on that primitive wiring of ours, offering us negative beliefs about ourselves and others. But that doesn't mean that the truth isn't true. It just means we, that we need to exert some faith, right? We have to do the work. We have to be consistent and we have to keep going. But I will also tell you that it is so worth it. So just remember that when life feels hard, when you feel discouraged, just know this. This is being human. That's a part of being human, right? We all have to do this work in one way or another every day to overcome the natural man. And in this life, it's something that we will be dealing with and learning over and over again. And sometimes it can feel tedious and frustrating, but it can also be expansive and exhilarating if we let it. So I want to share with you this quote from Byron Katie, and then I'm going to give you an exercise for you to use if you have a belief that you want to take a look at and maybe begin to change. Katie said, a thought is harmless unless we believe it. It's not our thoughts, but our attachment to our thoughts that causes suffering. Attaching to a thought means believing that it's true without inquiring or questioning it. A belief is a thought we've been attaching to for years. So I'm going to give you um, a little exercise and that will help you go through this work of inquiry that Byron Katie talks about, this process of questioning your thoughts and then changing them if you choose. So first, um, I'm just going to give you a few questions to journal on to give you some good thoughts that you can take through this inquiry process. And these questions have been helpful for me in not only identifying you know, those false limiting beliefs I have about myself, but also in discovering what is actually true, what I want to believe. This is a powerful exercise, especially when you invite God to help you know and feel the truth about yourself, the truth about who you are, about your value, about your capabilities and your potential. So here are, you know, just a few questions to start out with. Question number one, what are some of the most common limiting beliefs you have about yourself? Question two, who or what in your life needs to change in order for you to feel better? Question number three, what are the top three to five emotions you feel each day and why do you feel them? Okay, when you have your thought downloads, then pick out one of those thoughts that you can see might be causing you to feel frustrated or stuck and take it through the following questions. Number one, is this true? Number two, where did this thought come from? Number three, how long have I been practicing this thought? Number four, is it possible that this thought isn't true? Number five, do I have evidence to prove the opposite true? Number six, how does thinking the opposite thought feel? Number seven, who would I be if I didn't have this limiting belief? Number eight, who decided that this thought was true? Number nine, does it serve me to believe this thought? Number 10, do I want this thought to be true for me? And number 11, if not, what do I want to think or believe instead? 
And the answer to that final question will be the new thought or truth that you want to practice. You can take as many thoughts as you want through these questions, and then when you're done, you can make a new list of thoughts and beliefs that you intentionally want to have about yourself. And then you can create moments throughout the day to sit and practice these thoughts, not just reciting the words to yourself, but taking time to feel the truth of them inside of you and imagine yourself being the version of you that embodies those beliefs. Remember, it takes work. Elevated thoughts and emotions don't always come easily or naturally to our carnal minds, and that's okay. We all have to work for our mental and emotional health, just like we have to work for our physical health. That's how it works in this life, and nothing has gone wrong just because we don't spontaneously feel good all of the time. Okay, a couple more things and I'll let you go. As I was thinking about this concept of being willing to be wrong, um, the word that kept coming to my mind was humility. And Kevin Worthen, who is the current president of Brigham Young University, gave a really amazing devotional back in January all about humility. And in it, he shares this. He says, humility is one of the most underappreciated virtues in contemporary society. Yet over the past two decades, there has been a significant increase in scholarly research about the positive impact that humility has on people's ability to learn, lead, and relate to others. Researchers observe that the intellectually humble have a constant desire to learn and improve. They embrace ambiguity and the unknown. They like getting new information. They even enjoy finding out when they're wrong. And when in trouble, they're more willing to accept help. As a result, humble college students have been found to be higher in academic achievement. They improved more over the course of a semester, and they got better grades. While the proud may garner more attention, the humble do better academically. And I thought that was so interesting. They enjoy finding out when they're wrong. Who enjoys that, right? But when you see the growth and the understanding and the expansion that can come from seeing something in a new way, being wrong isn't so threatening. It's actually critical to our growth and progression as humans. President Ezra Taft Benson, in his famous talk on pride, which is the opposite of humility, right? He said, pride is a damning sin in the true sense of the word. It limits or stops progression. I think this is an interesting use of words here. We associate being damned as, as being punished by God, right? Being in a state of misery and suffering. But how interesting that President Benson describes it as a state where there's no progression. We aren't learning or growing or changing. So he's saying that pride or lack of humility is essentially the factor that's most likely to hinder our eternal progression. He goes on to say the proud are not easily taught. They won't change their minds to accept truths because to do so implies that they have been wrong. So I've just had this question on my mind lately. Where could I use a little more humility in my life? Which of my relationships could use a little more of my humility? What might I be believing that's maybe causing me suffering or limiting me in some way? Things that I could be, you know, very well be wrong about. Beliefs about my loved ones, beliefs about myself, beliefs about the way the world works. I was just talking to a client about this today, about the perceived rules we establish in our lives and how it's interesting that we think they're true and universal until we realize that not everyone has the same set of rules. Not everyone believes that money is the root of all evil. Not everyone believes that people-pleasing is the way to feel better, right? Not everyone believes that God is looking over their shoulders constantly disappointed in them. Not everyone believes they need attention and validation from others to feel important. And not everyone believes that another person's success threatens or takes away from theirs. And it was kind of fascinating to go through this process with this client of mine of identifying certain beliefs that she holds that are causing contention and resentment and insecurity and guilt in her relationships and in her life. 
And then to think of people she knows who don't hold those same beliefs and aren't suffering the way that she is. And she could see that actually these rules that she's made up about how she should be or how other people should be um, or how the world should be are actually not true. And they're causing problems that don't really need to be in her life. That was a really big aha for her to see people she knew and respected feeling and acting differently than she would in similar circumstances just because they believed different things. And this kind of opened up her mind to the possibility that maybe her rules for herself and her life um, and for other people really aren't serving her. Maybe they're even not right or true. And maybe there are things that she could open herself up to being wrong about. Because when you're willing to be wrong, that's when you can make space for new possibilities and real change. Okay, that's it for this week. As always, if you have any questions or would like to sign up for a free coaching session to see what this stuff is all about and how it can help you, come find me on Instagram at Annette Jones Coaching. Send me a DM and let's talk. I would love to hear from you. I hope you have a great week and I will see you back here soon. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.